You're listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Hi, everyone. Our guest today is Dr. Danny Brissell. Danny is a sought-after speaker. He's an author. He's a former school teacher. And now he runs one of the world's leading reading engagement programs. You're going to love hearing what Danny has to say about what it takes to pay the price of leadership. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Tracy Jones. Welcome to the Tremendous Leadership Podcast, Leaders on Leadership, where we pull back the curtain on leadership and talk to tremendous leaders from all over the world about what it took them to pay the price of leadership. And today, I am tremendously excited to have my guest, Dr. Danny Brissell. And Danny is a highly sought-after speaker, trainer, and coach known as Jim Carrey with a PhD. I love that. Dr. Danny Brissell has spoken to over 3,000 audiences worldwide and all authored 16 books, including his latest, Leadership Begins with Motivation. Mm, Amen to that. He is the co-founder of www.thereadinghabit.com. We're going to talk more about that. And the world's, this is the world's top reading engagement program. So in case you haven't figured out why Danny's on the show, this is why. Danny, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for all that you do, Tracy. I just love your positive energy. And I, I really wish I had met your father, because. but it doesn't matter. I guess I have, because I've met you and you have that same energy. Thank you so much. So for our listeners, um, Danny reached out to me on our website, I don't know, a couple months ago about getting, he had seen the Throwback Thursday and you wanted, it was a five-part series and you wanted one, two, three, four. So I just sent him the whole thing. And here we are. So it just goes to show leaders just, they find each other because they're always looking at tremendous things, reading tremendous books, listening to tremendous podcasts. And then and meeting tremendous people. So Danny, just a pleasure to be here. It's great, Tracy. I mean, you and I, there's this great book. A lot of people think it's good. I think it's great. And it says, ask and you shall receive. So uh, just making contact with you and you were, you've were you gone above and beyond. It's you're just absolutely wonderful and absolutely modeling what a leader should do. I, I was actually having this conversation with some students the other day and they were asking me about this individual and I, I didn't really care for the individual. And so to put it nicely, I said, well, the way I judge a leader is not by the way they treat other leaders, but by how they treat the janitor. Mm. And this person has his head in the clouds and likes to only associate with the people that he considers important. And I've mm. always found that the most important leaders are usually the people down in the trenches. So, uh, absolutely. <laughs> I love it. And Danny's passion, and he's going to talk more about this, but I just can't keep quiet about this. Danny teaches people a love of reading. And so I wish you could have met my dad because you would have been his third son, I have no doubt, along with many others. And Danny's good friends with Ruben Gonzalez. Ruben's been on our program. So just, just it's a great world of tremendous people. So Danny, uh, my dad wrote a speech called The Price of Leadership. And it was one of the top speeches that he gave. And in it, he really goes into the pragmatic side of leadership, that leadership is a joyful and triumphant thing, but you're also going to get your nose and your knuckles bloodied because it is, it's brutal, but worth it. And he outlines four of the prices that you're going to have to pay to truly be considered a leader. And the first one he says is loneliness. And we've all heard that saying, you know, it's lonely at the top, but can you unpack for me what loneliness has meant to you throughout your career and what you're doing and any words of advice you'd have for our leaders that are listening that may be in a season of loneliness? Well, thank you for that, Tracy. I actually shared with you earlier, uh, I was feeling down a couple of uh, weeks ago and I actually watched your father's speech to to cheer me up. And I was like, oh my God, I met my alter ego because we both had the same type of energy. Uh, gosh, he felt everybody in that audience. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've never touched that many people. <laughs> I love his energy. And I, I love what he was talking about with loneliness because I think anybody that's in a leadership position, and I, the way I teach leadership is uh, everybody's a leader because at a very minimum, you have to lead yourself. But it gets lonely, especially for those of us that have lots of people that uh, we're responsible for. Uh, I think really my best advice always for people, uh, I know you you're part of masterminds. I'm a big advocate for masterminds being, and if for those in your audience that might not know what a mastermind is, I have a feeling they all do, but I believe the concept of the mastermind was first introduced by Napoleon Hill in, in Think and Grow Rich, and it's taken off. People like Tony Robbins and John Maxwell, these are all people that lead masterminds. And I've always enjoyed being a part of a mastermind where I'm, I'm in a, a mastermind with people that are completely different from me. The first mastermind I was in, I was actually very blessed. I was in this mastermind where uh, I've been a teacher and professor most of my life. And all of a sudden I started noticing that the people in my group, there was a lot of very successful business people that were very interested in what I had to say. And I said, well, I've just been a teacher and a professor. Why do you uh, consult with me? And they said, Danny, you know, 
10 of your, you'll always give 10 ideas and nine of them are completely crazy, but the other one is worth millions of dollars. And the thing is, you just think in a very different way. And I loved it when they said that, because I'm like, you know, I've always loved surrounding myself with people that think very differently. I've always, you know, the I'm going to charm you. This is something your dad does. I love it when he refers people to books, because this is what I'm constantly doing is mm-hmm. uh, recommending books to people. And anybody in your audience who has not read a Team of Rivals by Doris Kearns Goodwin has to go out and rush and get it, because... This is a true story of President Lincoln. When he became president, he took all of his political rivals and he made them his cabinet. Mm -hmm. And I'm not overstating the fact this would be the equivalent of Donald Trump naming Hillary Clinton his secretary of state. Uh This is exactly uh what Lincoln did. And all of these guys hated Lincoln's guts at the beginning. And by the time he was assassinated, they were all inconsolable. They said, you know, we've lost a tremendous leader. Uh, People like Edwin Stanton, his secretary of war, just was so devastated when he passed away. Lincoln had one of my favorite leadership quotes of all time. He said, I know the best way to defeat my enemies. I shall make them my friends. Friends. Mm. And it's it's like when I, I hear things like that, that's why, you know, if you're feeling lonely, you're never lonely if you're in a library surrounded oh, by books, you yes. know. A lot of my best mentors I've never met in my life, I never will meet in my life, but they have lots of wisdom. You know, reading your your dad's book for the first time, I was like, yes, I mean, I felt like a Baptist in the front row. Amen. Amen. You know, he made so many great points. Somebody asked me the other day if I could only have one book, and I said, well, besides the Bible. The Bible's right. always very That's good. A given. Yeah. <laughs> even for people that aren't religious in the audience, I mean, you still have to read the Bible. It's amazing. Right. It's kind of like the founding fathers of the Constitution, and I'm like, how did they think of all these things? I mean, right. everything is covered. Like every, anytime I find something, everything is covered in the Bible. So it's a great leadership guide. But a book there, I had a had a real impact on me was The Success Principles by Jack Canfield. Now, Jack is probably most famous. He's uh, the co-creator of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series, which is just an amazing uh, story in, a, in and of itself. I think he was rejected by 144 publishers. Number 145 was pretty smart because uh, the series has sold over half a billion books worldwide. But after I read The Success Principles, my coach at the time, I was at Denver International Airport and on the phone with him. And I said, I just read The Success Principles by Jack. Canfield. I'm like, he's put a $25,000 coaching program in a $20 book if people Mm. pay attention to it. I'm like, his stories are terrific. I'm like, I would have paid $20 just for his bibliography. And I told my coach, I'm like, this book has had such an impact on me. I'm going to make sure this year I'm going to meet Jack Canfield in person. And my coach is like, well, He's speaking at my event in April. And I'm like, okay, well, I was actually scheduled to speak in New York in April at the time. And so I called up that conference. I said, hey, could you please move me to May? They did. So I actually rescheduled a, a speaking engagement just so I could meet Jack Canfield. And I mean, I'm, he meets millions of people. I've met him a couple of times. I guarantee you, he doesn't know who I am. Didn't matter though, because when I was with him, he made me feel special. Yes. And that's all it takes. I'm a huge USC football fan. And I always tell people the story. I was at Heritage Hall in, in LA at, at, on the campus of USC. And the football coach, Pete Carroll, walked by. And I'm like, hey, coach. And he looked at me and he totally didn't say hi and walked his way. And that was one of the best lessons I've ever learned, Tracy, because to him, I meant nothing. You know, that one encounter taught me every encounter matters because he didn't know I was going to tell that story to over 100,000 executives around the world. And it was actually funny. I was speaking at an event once and this woman came up to me afterwards. She's like, let me reintroduce you. He's a very nice guy. He's my brother. And, but it taught me every yeah. encounter matters. And it's it does. every encounter we have, Tracy, we have a decision. We can be the light or the darkness. We can be Obi-Wan Kenobi or Darth Vader. It, it takes just as much energy to say something nice as it does to say something rude. And that's something I'm reminding all of our leaders of today. I'm like, you know, this is the problem I see right now. We need to learn how to be able to disagree with one another mm-hmm. without being disagreeable toward mm-hmm. one another. Mm-hmm. Name calling is not acceptable, you right. know. The Bible I read, I don't hear Jesus putting silly nicknames on people. And actually, I want to write, you and I should write this book, Tracy. I've had this idea for years. I want to write a book called Focus on the Red, because in my Bible, every time Jesus talks, it's in red. Mm -hmm. And I've never heard Jesus say, blessed are those except for this, this, this. Mm -hmm. No, he's always with the people, nobody else 
wants thinks that they should associate with. He mm-hmm. spends very little time in church, if you ever notice. He's actually out there doing things. Uh-huh. And he, he's always about love and kindness and accepting. And, you know, so again, there's, there's another mentor. I never met him, but I can learn from his words, which fortunately uh, were captured. So uh, I'm hoping, I apologize right now, Tracy, this is probably going to be a pattern, a very long answer to a very no, short No, I love question. that. <laughs> well, I, I think that's awesome. And I love that you talked about you, back in the beginning, you talked about one good idea out of 10. And I love that because as leaders, we kind of are going to see things that other people don't see. We have to see the future before anybody else. And so people are going to be like, what? And I love that because you're going to be lonely as a leader in that people, you're going to see it before everybody else. So there's going to be that type of cognitive loneliness and don't let it get to you. Because like you said, for all the crazy ideas I come up with, it's that constant creative burst of crazy ideas that something does land. And so as leaders, don't get discouraged when everybody else is like, like, what? I mean, it's just, it's kind of par for the course. I mean, I, was, I used to listen to my dad and he would say stuff that was so counterintuitive. And I'm like, what? But then you kind of get your head wrapped around it. And you're like, okay. So I like that you really hit on that too, Danny. That's an interesting yeah. perspective on loneliness. Well, I love that story about when Disney World opened, a reporter reflected to one of the executives. He said, oh, it's a shame that uh, Walt Disney couldn't be alive to see this. And the executive turned to the reporter and said, what do you mean? He saw this 10 years before it ever happened. Right. Right. And that's what all of us as leaders. Right. He's so. Yeah. Uh, I heard that was his wife. I don't know. Where did I, I read that? I just saw Saving Mr. Maybe his wife. No, I, I, you know, and that's the thing. But it, it, that is true. That I did read that in a biography. That is that is true. But I thought it was his wife where, where she's like, he did see it. That's why. It's I've true. seen it in different versions. I, there, Pat Williams has a great book about Disney. And I, I may be taking my version from the Pat. This mm-hmm. is shame on me because I used to be a journalist and you're supposed to always. No, no, story. listen. Well, <laughs> well, and getting the source is slightly different as long, but we're still quoting the same thing. There's no disagreement. <laughs> that. He did. The fact is he did see it before so you got the notion right that's definitely true i love that okay so danny loneliness the next thing he talked about is weariness and you talked a little bit about before when you were weary how you kind of you didn't just wallow in your weariness but you pulled it up can you talk to me about the different types of weariness you've dealt with as a leader we know there's many different types just like pain there's good pain bad pain talk to me about weariness and how you combat that or maybe something leaders need to be aware of when it comes to the price of leadership which entails weariness Thank you, Tracy. I think that's so important. You know, I began my career in teaching. So it's funny how I became a teacher. I used to be a journalist. I had the greatest job in the world. I got to cover uh, one of the presidential campaigns. And then I was at a press conference with the president. The president said something. And I looked at the lead six of my colleagues had written. And I'm like, he didn't say anything that negative. Why are you taking that slant? Uh And I wanted to become a journalist because I wanted to be the next Charles Kuralt and go around America doing all these great little profiles on interesting places and people. And I just saw so much nastiness. And I'm like, I don't want to be a part of this. And so I always tell people, I got offered this uh, this job. I, I was getting offered all kinds of great different jobs and journalism jobs for different major newspapers. And so I got offered a job doing the city beat for the Chicago Tribune for $16,500 a year. Meanwhile, a friend of mine had convinced me to apply for a teaching position in Compton, California, in inner city, South Central Los Angeles, where I would get paid $25,000 a year. So I always tell people I became a teacher for the noblest of reasons, for the high pay. And it was tough teaching in the inner city. It's ironic that I I run the world's leading reading engagement program online now, because as a kid, I hated reading. I mean, oh, I wasn't fun. Yeah, so my father was yeah. a librarian. I always hated the public library. I always thought the furniture was uncomfortable. It always smelled funny. There's always some elderly woman telling me to be quiet. And there's always some freak by the shelf that thought he was a vampire. It always, I hated, I hated the, the public library. But then once I started teaching in the inner city, and I always tell people, my first three years teaching, I never met a father. My first year teaching, every single one of my students had a different last name than their mother. Mm-hmm. A lot of my students parents were working three jobs to make ends meet. Mm -hmm. There weren't any reading resources in the home. There were Mm -hmm. limited reading resources in the school. And I really pointed the finger at myself and I said, shame on me. I've taken a lot for granted. I had both parents in my household. They used to read in front of us and to us, my brother, my sister, and me. We always had plenty of access to books, even though I never wanted to read anything. 
And it made me very disgusted at at how I don't believe in equality. I think that's one of these things people strive for, which is unattainable. I'm like, well, people don't need to be treated equally. They need to be treated fairly. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, some kids don't need much attention. Some kids need a lot of extra attention. Yes. And when you talk about weariness as a leader, it was tough. My first semester teaching, and I taught lots of different, I've taught every grade level, but my, my passion is with the little one. I started off teaching high school and they put me in middle school, but I love the little ones because they don't know what they can't do yet. And they say amazing things all the time. And my first semester teaching at elementary school level, every day was a disaster in some way. And so at Christmas time, I decided at Christmas, I bought all of my students, I had 33 students. And so I bought them all a box of dominoes and I, I gift wrapped every box and I put a candy cane on every box and I brought them to school. And I thought, oh, this is going to be great because Domino's, there's like a math objective. So the kids will learn some math concepts. So I bring them to class. And this was my best days, my first in my first semester teaching in elementary. I teach, I bring all the Domino's to school and I'm all excited. And the kids open them up and they're throwing them at one another. They're eating them. They're doing everything that I never intended for them to do. And I look at this little boy, Gonzalo, and Gonzalo refused to open up his present. And I said, Gonzalo, why aren't you opening up your present? He said, I want something under the tree this year. That was my best day. And it was those kinds of stories. I was very blessed. I taught, I was uh, the only man at my school. I was the only white person at my school. I taught with predominantly elderly African-American women from the South who all had been teaching at least 20 years. And my mentor was Mrs. Turner. Mrs. Turner was from Alabama. Mrs. Turner had been teaching for 40 years. She believed in two things, discipline and the Bible. When her little ones got out of line, she started reading revelations to them. And it was, it was Mrs. Turner, this guardian angel, this saint, who took me under her wing and she said, you can't let this get to you, Mr. Purcell, because mm. it's getting to you. She noticed it. She's like, you're never going to last. You got to start mm. smiling and laughing a lot more because the stories are going to break your heart. And that's where I see the weariness and leadership. I always tell people this, whoever the president is, I'm pretty apolitical. I, at this point, I think the way we should vote for office is whoever the eighth caller is to the radio station, that should be the governor, the senator, and the, uh, the president. And there's actually precedent for that, by the way. That's actually how the Greeks did the Senate. It was basically like jury duty. And if uh-huh. you did that, you would take money out of the equation. People would be just forced to, to serve their country. Imagine that. But, yeah. but putting that aside, I think about whoever the president of the United States is, on their best day, as they're about to go to bed, the National Security Advisor basically says, good night, Mr. President. Oh, by the way, we're missing a plane off uh, the the Gulf of Tonkin. There's 100,000 airline pilots on strike in St. Louis. There's a little girl trapped in a well in West Virginia. And this country just decided they're going to invade this country with nuclear weapons. But have a good night's sleep. I know. I know. (laughs) I know. That's a great perspective. Yes. (laughs) Who wants that job? I know. Yeah. I want to be the ex-president. I don't want to be president of the United States. I want to be the ex-president. I could golf anywhere. I could give speeches. Paid a lot of money for speeches. Get lots of money on books about my memoirs. But but you look at any of these guys, I always use the examples of, uh, if you look at, you know, so President Trump's older, but before him, we had Presidents Obama, Bush, and Clinton, who were all fairly young. They were in their 40s when they became president. And each of them served two terms. And by the end of those two terms, you look at how much they've aged. And I'm just like, wow, this is, and I I, I think about that is how is the example I always give people was Tony Blair. I remember when Tony Blair, when London was awarded the Olympics, he looked so happy. And the very next day they, they bombed the underground and killed like 20 people. And I'm like, wow, this is what it's like to be the leader. He had his his high was just very quick. Yes. And now he has to talk to the families of the, the victims. And so that's the weariness. It takes somebody special to be able to deal with those types of circumstances. And I might not agree with people, but I still pray for them because I, oh, gosh, I yeah. a lot of the decisions a lot of these people have to make. Uh, you don't see me raising my hand anxious to make those oh, decisions. Uh, that's <laughs> a great point, Dana, because you know what? I mean, I even look back in my little microcosm about how I just love sitting at the water cooler bashing management because I could do it so much better better than them. And then you get to sit in the seat 
and you realize you had no idea what they're juggling. And the hubris, the ignorance of people that sit there and judge people. And it's like, talk about their policies, but to rip somebody that you don't know to shreds, when you have no, you haven't even run a company of two people. And they're, I mean, it's just, but I was one of those. And it was just my ignorance, my lack of, my insecurity and my my ego. And Lord willing, we all grow up and realize when we get to be mid-level and senior level leaders that, wow, there's a lot more that goes in to it and we can come alongside the emerging leaders and say, you know, you'll get there and then you'll see, you know, it's just like telling little kids, well, someday you'll have your own and then you can be the perfect mother that I never was, you know, and they're like, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> you know, that's wild, but it is, is weary. So, but I love, again, you talked about the beginning of it. When you get down, don't stay down. Yeah. Get in great books, get with great people, let it go, you know, pray, meditate, do something because this too shall pass. And I love, you talk about the Bible. The Bible always talks about valleys. And what valleys mean is that they're eventually, you're going to be on the bottom floor of the valley and then you start coming out of it, you know, so. Perspective is a valuable oh, thing, Tracy. Totally. I mean, when you feel really down, why don't you go uh, volunteer at the Children's Cancer oh. Center or at the ho- Homeless Shelter? I mean, Les Brown, the wonderful speaker, he has a great anecdote about a guy that committed suicide. And he, he says, suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And he's so right about that. You said it, this too shall pass. Every time there's a catastrophe, there's an opportunity that follows. And right. so it's just right. a matter of uh, you know success. A lot of success is just a matter of hanging on. It is. Well, and even in church, and I just read it in a book too. So two points, two confirmations in the same day said basically, okay, you know, we're children of God. We have the God seed in us. God wants nothing more than to have you home with him. Hmm. If you are here on this earth at this very moment, he wants you home so bad, but he knows there's things he wants you to do here. So just that realization that I know it's bad, but if God who loves me unconditionally, if he still has me here, there's something I'm supposed to be doing. And it ain't sitting there sucking my thumb or taking drugs to kill the pain. Watching, keeping up with the Kardashians. Right, get out, yeah, get out and and (laughs) serve, serve the great, yeah, I love that. When I am not serving, when I kind of start thumb sucking and drawing in on myself, that's when I get incredibly tired in a bad way. There's times where I'm so tired, I I call it going to war tire. After a day of war and I lay down, I go, I kicked everybody's butt today I could. sleep well. That's a good tired. But I'm talking the tired that you're just, you know, you wasted today. You know, you'll never get it back. You know that this negative talk is just killing you and you're allowing terrible things to come into your head. That cease and desist. You know what I'm saying? Because that's what I was making this point to a coaching client last week was she's trying to do 58 things and she's not doing any of them. Right. And I said, I'm going to recommend another book. So actually, you all don't have to read this book because I already read it for you. So the book is called Essentialism by Greg McKeown. It's a wonderful book. And that book changed my life based on one line. He said in Greek, the word priority can only be used in the singular. Yeah. And I'll tell you why that changed my life, Tracy. Every day I give myself one priority. I can get other stuff done. That's great. But I have to get my priority done. And if you give yourself one priority a day, you'll be amazed how much more productive you are. I see too many people trying to do 28 things poorly rather than try to do one thing really well. That's brilliant. (laughs) Well, my book, Spark, you know, S-P-A-R-K. I love Spark. I I devoured that the first day on the Kindle. I think it said it took me 93 minutes to get through it. So it was a quick read. Thank you, Tracy. You're welcome. (laughs) But as singularity. I mean, that's the whole thing. One, one thing. Yeah. I love that. And essentialism. So, I mean, it's just, but so I heard somebody say that they're one of the pastors again was talking and he said his spiritual gift is the gift of complication. And I started <laughs> laughing. I'm like, that's me too. Because I'm like, okay, I got to do this. And somebody sends me an email. Can you be on this? Can you write for this? Can you be a sponsor at this? Can you help us find a speaker for this? And all of a sudden, ooh, it's bad, bad. I love that. Priority. One thing. One thing. Mm. Worth the price of the podcast, Danny. Mm. Okay. <laughs> well, good. I hope you continue to listen, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we're only halfway through, folks. Okay. Abandonment. Sure. And my dad often said that we need to stop thinking about what we like and want to think about in favor of what we ought and need to think about. Mm. So, Danny, how do you really gain clarity and focus? You know, you talked about singularity, but it's tough because we convince ourselves of a lot of crazy things that aren't necessarily true, trying to 
not deal with what's in front of us or just because we mistake busyness for productivity. How do you stay really focused? (laughs) Focus is everything. So I talk about it in the book I just wrote, The Leadership Begins with Motivation book. I grew up listening to Paul Harvey on the radio. He was on every day at 1215. He passed away a couple of years ago at the age of 325 years old. But I love Paul Harvey growing up. He'd be like, I'm Paul Harvey with the rest of the story. And, And he always gave you some zingers. You're trying to, there's actually a great podcast right now called The Way I Heard It by Mike Rowe. He's the guy that uh, hosts, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a wonderful podcast. Uh, he hosts Dirty Job. He and I are in completely, you know, when people interview me about what education has to do, you know, so right now I've been getting a lot of interview questions about COVID and remote learning. And I say, well, this is part of the process. This is one of the solutions. You know, homeschooling is the right option for some kids. Public school is the right option for some kids. Magnet schools, private schools, charter schools, you know, some kids need self direct learning. Mike Rowe and I believe that we should invest more heavily in vocational training because uh, even though a lot of politicians think that the purpose of our education system is to produce college graduates, I'm like, well, first of all, it's not listed anywhere in the Constitution that it's a right. And second of all, the purpose of our education system is to produce tax-paying citizens. And mm-hmm, if you mm-hmm, become mm-hmm. A, a plumber or a mechanic or somebody with a trade, believe me, you're, you're contributing to society. As a matter of fact, a lot of those people are making a lot more money than oh, yeah. a lot of the unemployed PhD students that you and I have as friends. So that's really important. So one of the stories I talk about in the book is at the end of the 1968 Olympics, there was the last race of the Olympics is always the marathon. And the marathon winner had already been declared. But about a couple of hours after the the first, second and third place runners came in, there was this runner from Tanzania. And basically around mile 12, he had uh, fallen and, and hurt his shoulder and his knee. He wasn't even running. He was kind of doing this kind of pathetic scamper. And as he entered the stadium, you know, uh, the few thousand fans that remained, they gave him a standing ovation. And I remember the first time I saw it, it was on one of those Olympic videos. And it has this great narrator whose voice has no inflection whatsoever. And I decided I like it better than any narrator ever. And he said, when asked, why did you, why did you, uh, decide to finish the marathon. I can't remember his name precisely. It's like Stephen Adebole or whatever uh, from Tanzania. And they say, uh, when asked this question, he said, my country did not send me 26,000 miles to start the race. My country sent me 26,000 miles to finish the race. <laughs> I just, I love, and I'm like, oh, I'm in tears every time I hear that story. I think it's fantastic. But I, I think people have to hear those stories about the focus. Yeah. Keep your focus. You know, every overnight success story, it took them years to become that overnight success story. I train people how to be better speakers and people will come up to me and they say, oh, I can't be as good as you, Danny. You were so sharp on that question. I'm like, just so you know, that question you asked, I've been asked that question 499 times before you asked it. So I had 499 opportunities before you asked me to craft the perfect response to sound so smart to you, mm-hmm. you know, but they don't see all that work. You know, I was watching Sunday night football last night, the game between the Patriots and the Seahawks. And people have no idea how a quarterback like Cam Newton for the Patriots or Russell Wilson for the Seattle Seahawks, how much time it took them to learn all those plays, to to know what their receivers are going to do, to know what to do when you have five men on the line of scrimmage versus three. We don't look at all of the work that goes into it. You know, focus stinks. Leadership stinks. It's work. There's nobody that's just gifted with this. It takes work. You know, you got to get dirty and you're going to make a lot of mistakes. When I do corporate trainings, I always ask the executives, what's the opposite of success? They always say failure. I'm like, no, it's not. To succeed, you got to fail a lot. Right. The opposite of success is quitting. Right. We're not trying. Right. Status quo. Yeah. I mean, people remember that Babe Ruth hit 60 home runs in a single season. That's an amazing feat, a record that stood over 30 years in Major League Baseball. Most people conveniently forget He also led the league in strikeouts the same year with 89. I, for one, want the people I'm working with swinging for the fences every day. Right. And uh, that's where you see the best leaders, you know, uh, really one of my favorite leadership gurus is John Maxwell. I think everybody should read every single one of his books. I think they should attend every one of his trainings and buy everything he sells. I mean, he's my Jim Jones. I'll drink whatever he's selling. He's fantastic. He's got a great voice. Uh, I've never met him in person, but he seems like a real sincere human being. I just think he's fantastic. And I I had a point here and I've already lost the the train of thought again on the focus question. But basically when he's talking, 
talking about leadership, he always says leadership is, is influence, pure and simple. It's all, how do you influence people? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we talked about this earlier. You have, you have a decision every day. You can smile or you can frown. The decision right. is yours. When I was feeling down a couple of weeks ago, when I listened to your, your father's speech, I just loved it because he was talking about listening to your mother pray next to him in bed and pray how fortunate she felt to have such a loving husband. And he realized he wasn't a good husband and he felt like a scumbag and he made a commitment from then on. I'm going to make her feel like the princess she deserves. And it's exactly right. You have that power every single day. Like if, if you're having a crummy day, put a smile. I, one person I want to meet, if I was ever president, the first thing I would do is I would give the Presidential Medal of Freedom to Dolly Parton because who isn't cooler than Dolly Parton? No. On her worst day, she's like, oh, I'm just having the worst day ever. Plus, I hope you know this. Dolly Parton, her foundation has donated over 25 million books to poor children in the Appalachian region. I mean, she's just, uh, and those are the people I love is the people that don't wear it on their sleeve that you never realize all the good that they're actually doing for people. They don't do it for those reasons. Right. Um, That's a very unfocused answer to a very simple question on focus. I really bombed that one. No, but for our (laughs) listeners out there, what I like, okay, so what you're hearing as, and I get told this sometimes too, how do you pull the the quotes, the verses, and the points all together. Like your brain is this rolling Rolodex. And to our listeners out there, the more you ingest, you're just going to start this whirling thing. And it's, we stay focused, like we can land on the answer, but we tend to be more, and here's another quote, and here's another quote, and here's another quote. So I love it. There are some people that it's hard to process, or if you're a new leader and you're reading all these books and you're like, how do you keep all this stuff straight? Your brain eventually starts little, like ingraining certain threads and synapses. And you all of a sudden, people start saying, how do you know all that? Because everything that you read and then you apply becomes a part of you. And it pops out you know, when you need it. And I can't, like you and me talking about the Disney quote. I can't remember exactly where, but I know the gist. I don't have a photographic memory, dear Lord. I mean, that went, when I was 10, that went away. But I just love that you kind of, I like that you kept saying that's a long, long answer. But it's cool because for the leaders listening out there, the more experiences we get, the more great things we read, the more our worldview and our brain is just, you know, and that's a very, very cool thing because we can talk a lot of different things with a lot of different people and offer a lot of different points of advisement when asked. And I, I love that. Well, and that's what you and I are storytellers, Tracy. I mean, that's what a good leader does is, you know, Howard Schultz, the reason he was able to make Starbucks this huge economic powerhouse around the globe is he told a, a better story than other mm-hmm. people. That's what we're trying to do is what's the story that you're trying to tell? Uh, that's I was working with a couple of uh, CEOs last week on how they were telling their story. I'm like, well, here's, you know, a lot of people collect stamps. Some people collect cars. I've always collected stories. So I hear stories and I'm like, okay, that's going in the file. I'm going to remember that because that's a great little, uh, you know, I, I heard a story the other day, which I loved about Cliff Young. Have you ever heard of Cliff Young? Who's that? Oh my gosh, this is like the greatest story ever. And sounds just, familiar. I heard the story and then I was so excited and I wrote it for my for the new book I'm writing and then I found a book that had the dang story and I'm like, ah. uh, but I talked to the authors like, no, no, put it in your book too. It's a great yeah, story. Yeah. So Cliff Young, there's this ultra marathon between Melbourne and Sydney, Australia. It's about 550 miles. And the first running of the ultra marathon was in 1983. And so this marathon is supposed to take about a week for these guys to finish. And so all of the world's greatest ultra marathon runners got to the starting point. Well, one of the people that showed up was this 61-year-old Australian potato farmer named Cliff Young. He's wearing his overalls. He's wearing his work boots and galoshes over his work boots and the rest of the runners look at him like he's crazy. They fire the gun and they all take off. And as predicted, is Cliff Young is in last place. And everybody else is scorching Cliff. And the interesting thing was, was they were beating Cliff so badly when the rest of them decided at night to go to sleep and rest on the side of the road. Cliff's like, oh, I'm so far behind. I better keep running. And so he runs the the first night and the second night and the third night. And on day five, Not only did uh, 61-year-old potato farmer Cliff Young win the ultramarathon, his second place challenger finished 
10 hours behind him simply because Cliff never, he never quit. Okay. And I, I love that. That's a great lesson. Never quit. But what I love even more was the $10,000 prize he won. He could have bought a lot of potatoes with it, but he felt bad for winning when all the other competitors, this was their job. And so he split all of his winnings. He gave it to all of the competitors, which they all loved him for that. But what what I like about that part of the story, the, the lesson for us as leaders is a good job doesn't always have to be rewarded. Just knowing that you did your best is enough reward in itself. And I know that the projects that I've always, you know, I used to have a nonprofit where I created school libraries in Compton. And I don't know if I've ever been happier in my life, Tracy. If I had gone through the public school system trying to get approval for that, they would have still never been built. I built them all on my own. I, I put together the shells. I got students at more affluent school districts to do book drives, to donate uh, the books for the shells. Mm. And I felt like Sidney Poitier in Lilies of the Field when he makes that church for the little nuns. It's like, wow, maybe it was one of those experiences where after I open up a library for the kids, I, I always felt like, okay, if I get hit by a car, at least I have something to go with. You know, God will be like, all right, you did something. Uh, it's, it's one of the, I mean, it's one of those things I'm always amazed. There's so many, there's people in the world. So my pastor, at least once a week, is able to convert two or three people to Christianity. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Like, what the heck am I doing with my life? But it's good. It's good to have those people in your life where you're like, uh, I mean, I was just reading about this 12-year-old girl. She wrote a, uh, an ebook. She sold for 99 cents. She sold 2 million of them. And I'm not a math major, but I think she made a pretty good profit on that. And I just read that she just signed a three-picture deal with Warner Brothers. And I'm like, she's 12 years old. What am I doing with my life? But it's good. Don't it pushes me. How Don't can I get better? And I'm like, hey, until until I'm six feet under, I'm, I'm, I've still got a purpose here. Uh, probably, you know, this has nothing to do with anything, but I had to, I just have to tell you the story, Tracy, because it's one of my favorite. Do you know the story of Tony Campolo? Yes. Yes, I do. I do. All right. Well, I'll share oh, with you. Ahead, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. So I, I put this in the book because, and I, as I wrote it, I couldn't write it without crying because it's one of the most uplifting things. So Tony Campolo, he couldn't sleep one night. And so uh, he looks all around for one of those all night diners, finds a diner at 3.30 in the morning, gets his coffee and his donut. And all of a sudden these, these two prostitutes walk in. They're very loud and obnoxious, causing all kinds of noise. And he's about to get up and leave, but he's, he sits there and listens to them. And one of the prostitutes mentions the other that tomorrow's her birthday. And the other prostitute's like, well, what do you expect? Do you expect me to throw you a birthday party? And the other one's like, no, I wouldn't expect that. I've never had a birthday party in my life. And they giggle and, and walk out of the diner. And Tony Campolo thought about that statement. He's like, she's never had a birthday party in her life. And it, it really bothered him. And so he asked the waiter, he said, do those two ladies come in here every single night? The waiter said, yeah. And he said, well, would you mind if tomorrow night I come like around 2.30 and we decorate the diner and have a birthday party for her. What's her name? And he's like, Agnes. He's like, that would be, a, the waiter's like, that would be a great idea. So the, the next night he comes at 2.30 in the morning, decorates the diner and word had gotten out. And so Agnes's friends on the streets all came to this diner and on cue at 3.30, Agnes and the other prostitute, they come in, they're loud and everybody's like, surprise, happy birthday. <laughs> I can't say, I, I'm still getting choked up saying the story. And this woman just, she tears up because nobody's ever, they, they sing happy birthday. Tony says a prayer for everybody. And I'm like, you know, I've heard so many sermons from people. And right now I see so much hypocrisy in society. People saying one thing and practicing something else. I'm like, there's a guy, it didn't take money to do anything. All it took was to get up the next night and have a birthday party for a human being. And I thought, what a lovely thought. And it's, it's the kind of thing. That's why I read stories, Tracy, is I'm always, you know, you, you start to feel, I'm actually on a media fast right now, especially during the presidential election year. Stay on it forever. No, well, it, it doesn't serve me. I'm like, you know, what's the, the headline's going to be the same thing no, every day. you're not going to get any scumbag, of this. this yeah. You know, I, I, I don't want to. So I'm always looking for those inspirational stories. And that's what so I love is how do I surround myself with positive stories like that? That's why I wrote the book. And actually, after writing the book, I, I figured out the biggest mistake I made was when I, I went through it. And I'm like, huh, most of these stories take place in America. 
And a lot of these stories are about white men. Mm -hmm. And so the book I'm writing right now is more geared towards international stories with minorities and women. Because I'm like, you know, there's some little kid in Nigeria that needs to hear about a a Nigerian kid that became famous and and succeeded, uh, you know, wherever in the world. I'm thinking about that. I've been blessed. I've had a lot of people share their stories with me. And there's nothing, you know, working with speakers. I worked with 30 people last week and just listening to their personal stories it's, it's fascinating what people don't even consider important. Uh, I know you come across this too, Tracy. People just have no, I, I always say you can't see the forest through the trees. People are so close. Things come so naturally to them. The things that come naturally to them. My wife is a perfect example. She's so good at certain things, but she doesn't see it. Uh-huh. She's like, oh, I don't have this talent. I'm like, man, you have, there's no way I can do any of these things. And you do them effortlessly. Your dad talks about it in his speech. He's like, you know what? And he talks about my little baby, Tracy. If she needs, if she has a bum rash, you know, my wife, she knows everything about bum rashes. I don't know anything about bum rashes. And it's not to belittle it. I'm like, that's a, that's a skill. I, I was right. listening to an interview the other day from this woman. She's a bridesmaid all the time. And a couple of women asked her to be a bridesmaid. And she, she's like, gosh, I don't even know them very well. And her friend's like, yeah, but you do this so well. You're, you yeah. help make decisions. Yeah. And so she started a company where she's a professional bridesmaid. Oh. And I'm like, that's the greatest thing ever. Everybody has something like that. I mean, right. for me, yeah. people always say, we were talking about this, is how do the story stick? I'm like, you know, this is pathetic for me is I've read the 26 words of John 3.16 at least 3,000 times. And for the life of me, Tracy, I cannot remember them in order, but I can watch the movie Tommy Boy once and remember dialogue verbatim. That's ridiculous. But I, the point there is I think all of us have something like that. Uh-huh. You know, I worked with a little boy and the teacher's telling me, oh, he doesn't know anything. And this three-year-old proceeds to tell me every single fact about the stegosaurus that a human could ever know. I'm like, he's not stupid. He likes stegosauruses. Let's talk to him about stegosauruses. You know, I have plenty of friends that they can't write a paper or give a speech, but they can fix a car. I can't fix a car. I know. I know. I mean, they can do things. Everybody has something. There's something in everybody. And that's, that's, Yeah. Well, and that's really when, when, that's why when Strength Finders came out, I was like, whoa, because typically we're like, hey, continually improve yourself, but not, not stuff you're intrinsically not good at. And I love that because all the stuff that I thought like writing or meeting people, I'm like, you mean you can actually make a living doing that? That's just natural to me. And people are like, no, that's what you want to focus on. So I love the abandonment. A lot of time is abandon what you think you're supposed to do for what you innately, what you're innately gifted at, because that's your gift. And that's, what's going to be a lot of fun and that and because it's fun it's what you're going to like to do versus trying to fit into what you think you know everybody else wants you to be mm-hmm. so abandonment to your own core set of of intrinsic gifts absolutely spiritual gifts couldn't agree more yeah, I love that. I love that. Okay, so now, last one, vision. And my dad, for those of you that didn't know this, he flunked out of school in the eighth grade, but he went on to become one of the top legends of personal development. So he was a big, how do you get there from here to there? You have vision. But his whole thing, was, it's like, his whole thing was, vision is nothing more than just seeing what needs to be done and doing it. And so he knew he didn't get such a good draw on upbringing or education, but he knew where he wanted to go. So, you know, I think it just, he's such a pragmatist. I love that because I remember as a young leader, I was always so scared about, well, I'm not Oprah or Mark Zuckerberg. I'm not Notre Dame. I don't see, but his whole aspect was just look like you said, what is it? Priority. See the one thing and then just do it. So how do you hone your vision? You you were a school teacher. Now you have this world-renowned reading program. How do you keep clarifying your vision, Danny, and knowing where to go next? Thank you for that, Tracy. One of the best things I've done is I've started to listen to others. I think Mm. uh, as a former teacher of English as a second language student, I say there's four aspects of communication. They're listening, speaking, reading, and writing. And I've always focused on all of them, but I haven't focused enough on the listening. I mean, a wise professor once said that... We listen a book a day, we speak a book a week, we read a book a month, and we write a book a year. And what she meant by that is the amount of language that we typically encounter over the course of a day is the equivalent of an adult novel. The amount that we speak over the course of a week is the equivalent of that novel. The amount that we read 
over the course of a month, whether it's emails or street signs is the equivalent of a novel. And the amount that we write, grocery list, emails, that kind of thing, over the course of a year is the equivalent of a novel. So while there's four aspects of language communication, listening is really, really important. And I've always told teachers, I'm like, you know, just because a kid sits in the front row and answers every question and decides to run for Congress someday, it doesn't mean that kid's any brighter than the Unabomber sitting in the back of the room, just sitting there with their mouth shut. They're like, I'm listening to everything you're saying. You know, those people are absorbing. And so I listen to people now. I didn't think... I always wanted to be like the next Tony Robbins. And then a friend of mine's like, well, why don't you be the first Danny Brussel? <laughs> it was kind of a nice statement. I'm like, oh, and he said, Danny, he's like, Danny, you, you get people excited about reading. Not many people do that. And, you know, so it made me stop focusing on where I thought I had to go to succeed. And he said, no, you know, carve your own path. You have this niche mm -hmm. that you could really serve a lot more people that way. And I've been having a lot of fun doing that. So that was really important for me was to kind of abandon all those beliefs of what I, I thought I was supposed to do. I mean, there's a great story. I wrote, I just wrote this for the book I'm writing about uh, Agnes DeMille and Martha Graham. So Martha Graham is known as the mother of modern dance. Uh, she's a Kennedy Center honor, honoree. She won the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And her friend Agnes had produced a couple of plays that were successful, but her third play had just been totally panned by the critics. And so she's like, I'm going to just take it off. We're just going to close it down. Mm -hmm. And Martha looked at her and he said, no, you can't do that. Because if you shut this play down, the world will never have this play. You know, there's only one you, there's never been another you, and there's never going to be another one of you. You have to give the world what you have. Mm -hmm. And she encouraged her friend Agnes, who was also a choreographer. Agnes DeMille eventually won Kennedy Center Honors and the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And she decided to keep the play on Broadway, and she just changed the name to Oklahoma. Oh my which became one of the most successful musicals of all time. And wow. that's the thing. You know, you look at so many people. Uh, I have this quote by this guy. It's great. And I wish I had the quote for you. Everybody can tell. I, I'm very good at paraphrasing quotes. I'm not good at remembering them exactly. The quote goes basically like, my first company was a disaster. The second one wasn't much better. The third one, I kind of got it right, but there was still something missing. The fourth, we almost had it. And the fifth one was PayPal. <laughs> Maybe it just takes four mistakes before you find the billion dollar idea. Right. Um, again, going back to the football game I was watching last night, Bill Belichick was not a successful coach his first run as a head coach. Mm -hmm. And now they might as well just rename the Lombardi trophy after him. I'm like, right. I don't care if you like the Patriots or not. I hate the Patriots, but right. it's not even a debate anymore. I mean, he's the best coach of all time. Yeah. I'll listen to anything the guy says. I think he's phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, even just watching last night, I'm like, the quarterback you have now, Cam Newton, is nothing like the quarterback you had before, Tom Brady. I mean, both are great quarterbacks, but both have totally different skill sets. And the reason Belichick is a good leader is he figures out the skill sets of what he's handed and he turns them into the champion. Mm -hmm. You know, anybody can just trade in their cards and get a winning hand. The people that take the hand that they're dealt and turn it into a winning hand, those are the people that you want to be around. And it doesn't take much. I've seen that with a lot of successful leaders. It's kind of amazing how it's little simple things. You know, I'm a big fan of presidential history. My dad, that was his hobby. And Teddy Roosevelt, uh, there was a book written by the head usher. I don't think it's what that, that movie the, about the, uh, the head usher, the, I, I can't remember what it was called. I think it was called The Usher or something with Forrest Whitaker where he played the usher at the White House, the head usher oh. on the butler. I don't know what they called it. I don't remember the movie that much. But I think the movie might be based on this. But the guy that was the head usher at the uh, White House for 40 years, in his memoirs, they asked him when writing about what his favorite day was at the White House, it was when former President Teddy Roosevelt returned to the White House and he knew every single person's name. Mm-hmm. He talked to everybody. I mean, Teddy Roosevelt was amazing like that. Teddy Roosevelt would call up his servants. Like, it's the president on the line. He's like, hey, you told me you like birds. Hey, I'm looking out your window right now, and there's this type of bird right now. I mean, yeah. to be able to remember that, yeah. I've heard that. I've never confirmed this either. I once heard that both President Clinton and O.J. Simpson's uh, lawyer, Johnny Cochran, you remember, uh, if it don't fit, you must yeah. have quit. Yeah. I remember that quote. I've heard that both of them, if you met them, 
they would remember your name and something about you 20 years later. And I'm like, wow, well, that's how you become powerful. I mean, you don't have to be that bright. If you can remember people right. and make them feel, that's always been one of my favorite stories is uh, Winston Churchill's mother, Jenny, was a contemporary of Queen Victoria. She knew every famous person. So a reporter asked her once about the difference between Prime Minister Gladstone and Prime Minister Disraeli. And her response was phenomenal. She said, well, whenever I left a meeting with Prime Minister Gladstone, I left feeling like, wow, he is the most interesting person I have ever met. But whenever I left a meeting with Prime Minister Disraeli, I left feeling like, wow, I am the most interesting person he has ever met. Aww. What are we doing to make the people around us wow. feel important? I, mean, I that's, love that. That's one of the best leadership lessons of all time. I love that, Danny. Oh, <laughs> I'm writing that down. That's really cool. Well, okay, so your vision is really, you have covered it all. And I love that. Like, that's what my dad did, thinking that you were the most important person. And th- there's a lot oh. of, there's a lot to that. And I love the Belichick stuff about, you know, seeing what you can see in the follower and what you can inspire in the follower. Yeah. But as somebody who studies followership, the follower has to also be willing to be molded. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And you wouldn't be a quarterback if you didn't like get to that level and, and be willing to be honed by someone. So uh, and all leaders are good followers at first. I totally believe in that. And again, yes. I, I just believe that a lot of us, we don't even know that we're sitting on a pot of gold. I mean, I know, I know, this, I know. I just read a story and it's this letter from this Italian guy to his buddy. And he's like, oh, my back is killing me. The fumes have made me crazy. I, I am the most miserable person on the planet. He's like, I don't remember his friend's name. I'll say Giuseppe. Giuseppe, I am a failure. I am not a painter. And the guy that wrote the letter was Michelangelo right after he had painted the Sistine Chapel. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. That is crazy. It's not for us to decide. Right. You know, it's for others to do. I mean, I remember that it was Arthur Miller for 30 years after he wrote uh, Death of a Salesman. People always told him, you've written the great American tragedy. And he's like, no, I haven't. And 30 years later, he's like, I guess I have. Like, sometimes you just have to listen. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe maybe that's what I did. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. Okay. Well, Danny, so we covered each of the four prices of leadership. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our leaders that we have not touched on? Well, I used to run a nonprofit called Real Dads Read. And so to the male leaders out there, I always used to tell dads, I'm like, hey, dad, you want to know why your kids like football so much? It's because that's the only time you spend with them. Mm-hmm. If you spent your time reading with your kids, they'd all be readers. Uh, I've always thought that uh, there's plenty of uh, readers that aren't leaders, but uh, I have never, ever read about an effective leader who is not an avid reader. Yeah, and so that's what be, I would right. preach to all, not as much the moms, the moms get this. The dads right. have to realize that uh, those little eyes are watching you. And so it's important to read in front of your kids, with your kids and to your kids. And you'd be amazed at what sticks 50 years down the road. <laughs> you got that right. We are products of that. So Danny, how can people get in touch with you? What's the best way? And we at the bottom of this will have all the links back to all your different right. But how would you like to connect with You know, I was thinking about that because I have about a zillion different websites. And so there's a website. It might be the inappropriate one to send everybody to, but I'm going to send it to everybody to it anyway because I'm giving you some free stuff. So go to freereadingtraining.com and freereadingtraining.com. I'm going to give you three things. Well, four things, actually. First of all, you'll probably get an annoying email from me once a month for the rest of your life about something positive in the world. I'm going to give you a complimentary copy of my book, Read, Lead, and Succeed, which is a book. I wrote it for a a school principal who didn't know how to engage his faculty. So I said, okay, I'll write you a book. And so once a week, I give you a concept, an inspirational quote, an inspirational story, a book recommendation on a book you should read, but since you're an adult, you're probably too lazy and you won't read it. So I also give you a children's picture book recommendation that demonstrates the same concept. You can read that in five minutes. And then I'll also give you a couple of digital trainings of what I really do uh, around the world. We're in Now we're on five continents. It's uh, the world's leading reading engagement program. So basically, I teach parents and teachers how to get kids to love reading. Because I think think schools do a decent job of teaching kids how to read. But the, the question I always have for people is, what good is it teaching a kid how to read if they never want to read? Right. I teach kids why to read because I've never had to tell a a kid, go watch TV. I've never had to tell a kid, go play a video game. And I never want to have to tell a kid, go read. I want them to think reading is so cool. They'll do it on their own. 
you know, and in my program, we have in, in just over two months, you know, most of the kids that go through our program boost their reading ability by a couple of grade levels, which is great, but that's not why I do it. What gets me really excited, what's really important to me is that I'm developing avid readers that are curious. I think that's that's really the most important thing we should it be is. Uh, Even as a teacher, I used to tell my students, I'm like, I'm not here to teach you what to think. I'm teaching you how to think. Mm-hmm. You need to constantly be curious. You need to always ask that question, why? And so in just a couple of months, I teach people how to read more, read better, and most importantly, love reading. And hopefully that can serve everybody out there. Uh, if nothing else, there's some fun stories in there that'll, that'll bring a smile to your face. Right. Well, I just think it's absolutely, I mean, it's the most important thing on this planet, knowledge, education. I'm just reading, rereading Booker T. Washington's character building. And it's all about the only two things in life that matter is getting a great education and being industrious. And if mm. we all did that, the world would be a very different place. And so, I mean, these are universals. It's not like, well, reading's gone out the way, you know, no. No, I mean, the publishing industry has changed, but I love that leading engagement program. And just for listeners out there reading, the more you do it, it's just like everything else. But it is tough because, you know, it's, I think, Monty Python, my brain hurts. You know, you got to, it exposes you to ignorance. I mean, it is hard work. You got to focus. Whereas if you're playing games or you're just sitting back, it's hitting that, what is that, that dopamine and all that other, the chemical triggers. Whereas reading, it's difficult work, but it's such great work. And it's like eating candy versus eating meat and potatoes. It's really sticks with you and it makes you stronger. And I just love what you're doing, Danny. I just thank you, Tracy. Well, and just one thing that'll make a lot of your leaders feel a lot better. I mean, the research, the research is very clear on this. Doctor, yes, doctor, Doctor Purcell. It's very clear that you actually don't. If you listen to books, it's just as effective as if you're actually reading them on your own. And so, while you're on the uh, the subway to work or driving to work, or or you're on the the treadmill at, at the gym, you know, just listening to those books. I mean, I prefer nonfiction, but I have to, I mean, I have the one right. of the world's top reading book clubs online, lazyreaders.com. And on that one, I, I say, well, you know, even though I like nonfiction, a lot of the best ideas leaders get come from fiction. Right. I mean, so that's one of the reasons a lot of us should be uh, diving into both of those types of things. You know, when people tell me they have no time to read, I'm like, oh yeah, who has time to read after you watch the game on TV, have a couple of beers, go out shopping? I mean, who has time to, I mean, it's a friend of mine used to run time management seminars. I'm like, there's no such thing as time management. There's only priority management. Right, right. right. <laughs> and I laugh at people and they're like, why well, don't have time for, I'm like, you have time enough to do everything else to yeah. not read. Yeah. Shame. Shame. Don't make me, yeah. Don't make me shame you. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want people to read. Yeah. But I mean, I think it's good. It's good to let people know. But I mean, you can make it a priority and you can fall in love with reading just like you can fall in love with everything else. And I remember when I read Mortimer Adler's How to Read a Book, I like wept the whole way through it. And I like at 54 years old, I was just like, you know, about how you read a book, you digest it, you use your critical thinking. I'm like, how can you write a whole book, a big book on how to read a book? And it was just fascinating to me. What's your favorite? book, Tracy. What's that? What's your favorite book? I would say, well, that's one of them. That from a cognitive perspective of igniting my love of books. I still think after the Bible, of course, I would say the one that has impacted me the most, and I've had a lot of them. I read Psycho-Cybernetics by Max when I was a little girl, and that changed me. And then I would say as a middle-ager, Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, you know, just blew my head off. Dietrich Bonhoeffer's The Cost of Discipleship. Really, I read that probably about five years ago about if you're going to stay true to your convictions, this is what it's going to cost you. And so I like the really, the tough stuff, you know, because life is tough. I mean, anything you're going to want to do, you're going to be, you've never met a great leader with an easy path. So I was always into, you know, the people that really carved the way, the Jonah Arks, the, you know, the Dietrich Bonhoeffers, the Victor Frankls that really just put it all out there because Mm -hmm. that's what life, that's the courageous, courageous, convicted life where you're dialed into your strengths, you're dialed into your singular purpose and you see it. And if anybody else does, it doesn't really matter because you're infused with it. You know, what about you? What are your favorite books? Oh gosh, that's a horrible question. I got way too many. So on my book club, on lazyreaders.com, every month I give 10 book recommendations, three or four adult level, three or four young adult level, and three or four children's level books, all under 250 pages. So people have something they can read when they're stuck in a boring meeting. So let me give you 
one of each. So one of my favorite children's books probably was Where the Wild Things Are by Maurice Sendak. It was just about a mischievous boy. And it's kind of a cool story. Maurice Sendak, when he was a little boy, he used to, his family used to have his his relatives would come over to his house every weekend and they drank lots of beer and they made lots of noise and they totally trashed his house. And so when he was drawing the monsters and where the wild things are, those are his aunts and uncles. And I always would tell that story to my students because, you know, if you really want kids to be able to tell you stories, you have to tell them stories. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the stupidest things I ever told my little ones one day, I said, all right, kids, write about your lives. They looked at me like I was from outer space. They're like, we're only six. Nothing's happened to us. And I'm like, no, no, things happen to you every day. I'm like, when I was in first grade, my teacher, she called me stupid, smacked me on the hand and got me to cry in front of the whole class. So the next day when I was walking to school, I had an apple and I peed on the apple and I gave her the apple and she ate it that day and said it was the best apple she'd ever had. My little ones are like, that is awesome. This is also the reason I never accepted food from a child. But I always tell people, if you want, if you want kids to tell you stories, you got to tell them stories. So as a, as a kid, that's, that's my favorite children's book, my favorite young adult book, Gosh, you know, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. I I don't know why I love that book so much, but maybe Atticus Finch is just one of those characters who's just so good and has so much integrity. It's like a President Lincoln. Like when you read about these people, you know, it's like reading when I read Long Walk to Freedom by Nelson Mandela. I'm like, how did this human being walk on this planet? He thinks in a different way than other people. Right, right. So it's me. Joan of Arc is another, like you read about Joan of Arc. I'm like, who is this? I I know, I know, I know. It's unbelievable to these people come a teenager yeah Yeah. Um, and as gosh an adult book I'll just throw a fun one up. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas. I love Patton. that. Oh, uh, one of my favorites. That book got me. There's very few books where I have to put them down because I'm laughing out loud. I so know. Hard. One of my favorite. Yeah. Actually, have you read the other Douglas Adams books? The, like uh, Life, the Universe, Life, and everything. Life, the Universe, and everything. Oh, it's, yeah. Well, it's got, actually, you'll love this as a management person because yeah. one of my favorites, I, I can't remember which of the books it's in, but he goes into the largest intergalactic bureaucracy, bureaucratic agent ever, agent ever and he asked this bureaucrat uh, for help on this problem and, and the guy's like oh that's an SCP sounds like an SCP he's like well what's an SCP he's like somebody else's problem <laughs> And I, I use that all the time. As I'll give this to you. So, so all the leaders out there listening, you have to use SCP. The two things I always tell people, you have to say, oh, that sounds like somebody comes up to you and gripes. Oh, that sounds like an SCP, somebody else's problem. The other thing I used to always train uh, all of my faculty, I say, I always tell my faculty, the next time you want to give me an excuse, here's the excuse to give me. Peru has a new dictator. I'm like, okay. So everybody say it. Everybody's like, Peru has a new dictator. And somebody's like, what's that mean? I'm like, well, one excuse is as good as another, isn't it? Right, right, you know, right. It didn't get it. done. So why are you wasting my time? <laughs> right, right. So let's just get this out in the open. Yeah. SCP and Peru has a new dictator. They will I serve you well. Yeah, I love it. Science fiction is still my, that was before I got sucked into personal development and leadership stuff. Uh, it was all science fiction. Have you read Robert Heinlein? Oh, yes. Yeah, so Robert Heinlein, this is especially true for today's civilization. One of my favorite quotes of all time, and I will quote him correctly, Robert Heinlein said, uh, the two most predominant elements in the universe are nitrogen and stupidity. I know, I love that. I know. <laughs> I know. That's so true. I love it. I love it. All right, Danny. Well, just thank you so much for sharing your exuberance. It was precious to me. Your knowledge. I mean, just so much fun. And I hope we can get together in person sometime and do some kind of really awesome, tremendous reading thing. And to our viewers out there, check out Danny. Get on his list. He's got all these free giveaways. And if you like what you heard, please hit the subscribe button. Share with us. Leave us a comment. We answer all our comments. Give us a five-star rating. We'd be so thankful for that. And everybody out there, keep on reading and have a tremendous day. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Find out more about Dr. Jones at www.tremendousleadership.com. If you've been ignited by something you heard in this episode, let us know by leaving a review for Tremendous Leadership wherever you listen to podcasts or by sending us a message through www.tremendousleadership.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.